97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Hill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DiCecco. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in! Touchdown! Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now, and then match first spots up to $250. So go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sportsbook, along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 order to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Every Tuesday and Friday, Andrew DeCecco joins us on the show to talk Eagles football as we are now less than 24 hours away from the first edition of the 53-man roster for the 2020 NFL season. And I know Andrew DeCecco has been following very closely and intently what has been going on. Of course, you can follow Andrew on Twitter at NFL. Andrew, happy Friday. Yeah, Josh, good to talk to you, man. Uh, there's some big moves that need to be made here in the next 24 hours, so uh, things are happening kind of fast and furious here. Let's start with the moves that have already happened. I have to admit, I was a little surprised that the Eagles, when they announced the first round of cuts, that there were so many wide receivers on there, namely among them Deontay Burnett. Do you read anything into that that they let go of four wide receivers right off the bat. Yeah. They have, I think that, that tell, that's very telling in, in that Alshon Jeffrey could be back sooner than expected. I don't anticipate being placed on the PUP list uh, to start the season. I think he could be ready within the first few three to four weeks. Um, and I think we'll be ready earlier than anticipated. And it tells me that they really like what they've seen from Quez Watkins and are, are a little bit, you know, a little bit hesitant to get rid of him because another team may swoop him up knowing that how young he is and the speed that he has and, and kind of, you know, he hasn't reached his ceiling yet. So teams can kind of work with him. So I think the team was a little bit, you know, hesitant to part ways with him. Um, but, you know, Deontay Burnett was a guy that I thought made a lot of sense to keep on as a seventh wide receiver. I know I had him on my 53 man roster for inside the birds.com. When you go into week one and you're not going to have Alshon Jeffrey, you're not going to have, Jalen Rager, that leaves you with Deshaun Jackson. All right there. So uh, he was in the middle of saying something, and something happened to the phone. Yeah, I'd never heard anything like that before. That was kind of impressive, actually. Yeah. I'm actually a little – I've never heard that on the radio before. I wanted to get his thoughts on Burnett because he definitely has been making a splash so far in in training camp. You're seeing a lot of the reporters talking about what he has brought to the table. And I also want to get his thoughts when we get him back on about the running back crew that was cut because I know that he has been big on Warren and Holyfield and not big to the point where they're just going to be some breakout players by any means and, and be the stud elite running backs right off the bat, but someone who can make a little bit of noise for themselves and have a certain role on this team that will be beneficial for the squad. And, and they ended up releasing a couple of those guys. Adrian Killens is another name. So we'll see what ends up happening with these players. But it it is a weird spot for me. I know I mentioned yesterday when it comes to the Eagles season, I know it's right here. It's like I need the Flyers to take me to the Eagles season. I know that it's here right in front of me. It just I need preseason games to warm me up 
to that spot. I need to be able to see guys on the field. I want to overreact to somebody having a big preseason game where they get three sacks, and then you hear that one individual have a strong performance in practice, and you get sucked into thinking that that guy's going to be able to be a special impact player. You know, I need that overreaction, and to not see it, it definitely hurts a bit. It definitely hurts a bit, but I am intrigued because once it's here, the shift is going to happen big time. Once it occurs and I see the Eagles take the field, it goes from, this is a little funky not having football, boom, instantly, snap of the fingers, here we go, Carson Wentz is ready to take this squad on a ride. All right, we got, I believe we have Andrew Checo back now for football at four here, so Andrew, before we let before we lost you due to a strange phone sound that the whole world heard, that apparently made us all deaf for a hot couple of seconds there. Um, you we were talking about the issue with the Eagles not having enough receivers for Week One and how it's surprising that they let go of Deontay Burnett despite the fact of the injuries with Jeffrey and Rager. Yeah, like you know, going into Week One, you're not going to have Alshon Jeffrey. You're not going to have. Jalen Rager. So that really leaves the team with Deshaun Jackson, J.D. Arcega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, John Hightower, and Quez Watkins. That, to me, I mean, two of those guys are rookies. I thought it made more sense to keep a guy like Deontay Burnett in the fold, at least for the first week or two until the receiving core kind of settles in and the, the guy, the injured guys return, just to have his experience out there because there's you know, but all those guys are going to have to be active on week one. And having two of those guys that have never taken an NFL snap and they're late round, they're day three picks nonetheless, I think that's a bit of a risky move. There could be a veteran in play that gets uh, that gets kind of signed here as, as the cuts come in. I know that Adam Kaplan has talked about he believes that Alshon Jeffrey may be activated from PUP. Is there a possibility that they're leaving a roster spot open for Alshon, and that might be part of the reason why they're going this direction. Yeah, I, I, I think Jeff, Adam, and I all had Alshon Jeffrey on our 53-man rosters. I, I don't foresee him being out long enough to warrant the PUP designation. I think he's going to be in the in the in the plans, and he could be back, you know, over the first quarter of the season. So I don't necessarily think that. I think that definitely weighed into it. I do think that they probably could have and may still end up with seven wide receivers on the official 53-man roster when the dust is settled because I really do think having two rookies on your in your receiving core to start the season is not ideal. How about the running backs? Holyfield, Killens, and Warren all released. Uh, we've been hearing those names. Maybe someone steps up and, and has a little bit of a role, and it seems like, for at least right now, that is, they will not be with the Eagles. Yeah, you know, it, th- those are some of the guys that really – that really felt the impact of not having a preseason hunter and a guy like Michael Warren really needed, you you can't really see what he's able to do in thud practices. You need to see him out there in preseason games. He would have had a preseason similar to what Corey Clement had in 2017, where you could really see him run between the tackles, see his ability to see his contact balance and his ability to contribute in the passing game and, and, and certain areas there that you really can't see that on the practice field. Killens is more of a, specialty type of player that can't really give you much out of the backfield, something like a Destin cluster. He can only give you a handful of carries. You can move him around a little bit, but should there be an injury, he's not somebody that can step in and, and shoulder, you know, five or six carries a game like like a Boston Scott can. He's just too small. I believe he's about 165, 170 pounds. I think he can develop on the practice squad and maybe be 
a weapon. He's an embarrassment of riches. Like, if you're stuck at the position, I think he'd be more of a luxury than a guy that needs to make the roster. And Elijah Holyfield could very well be on the 50, end up on the 53 man roster at some point. His skill set is what the Eagles really need there. And I think once you see the dust settle, you'll see if there's any veteran running backs that kind of get cut loose that the Eagles can kind of throw in there and, and maybe keep as a fourth. Now, you mentioned the practice squad. I know there's a larger practice squad this year. So, is there a hope from the Eagles that some of these guys that they're cutting, guys like Warren, Holyfield, uh, Deontay Burnett, some of these guys, they could put them on the practice squad, and then we know you can call up two guys on game day, and maybe that's a way they can work around some of these roster constrictions. Yeah, and, and, and one thing I wanted to throw caution out for fans is, you know, every year when you see a lot of fan favorites that get released and hit the waiver wire, there's always a lot of outrage, and they should have kept this guy. Why couldn't they make room for that guy? But in all reality, last season there was only 36 players that were claimed off waivers around the league that were released. A lot of these guys are going to end up back on the practice squad or resurfaced in some capacity and I think this year, with it being such a unique offseason, teams are going to be more inclined to retain their players that already are familiar with their system rather than bring in guys that are unfamiliar to the system that really won't be able to make much of an impact until you know midway through the season, especially on the practice squad when you really need to give teams good looks, have the starting units good looks, and, and, and kind of emulate what you're seeing on film. I think the teams are going to go more be, they're going to be more inclined to re-sign some of their guys. Andrew Checo joining us here at Football and Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, every Monday through Friday here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. You can follow Andrew DeCecco on Twitter at A DeCecco NFL. Andrew, staying on the offensive side of the ball, do you believe that the Eagles are possibly also making some of these early moves because of what may be going to happen with the offensive line, considering the fact that whatever we see the final roster at 4 p.m. tomorrow may not be the actual final roster for week one of the season. Yeah, offensive line and linebacker are two positions that I think the Eagles may look to get creative with by making a a play on the waiver wire or maybe doing a player-for-player swap with someone such as Sidney Jones or or a player of that mold, I think that those are two positions that really need to be upgraded. And getting rid of some of those guys, Luke Jurega was a little bit surprising to see him among the first wave of cuts. He received the most guaranteed money from any undrafted free agent that they signed this offseason. I think he'll be a practice squad guy. They really don't have a ton of experience at, at depth on the offensive line. I believe Nate Herbig only played three, three NFL snaps, and that's it. That's very rare around the NFL that you'll find a backup, a, a backup group that has not that, that is so green in terms of NFL experience. Usually guys have played, you know, here or there over their career, and, and there's, not, there's not a ton of rookies or undrafted free agents. usually a veteran among the group. So I think those are two, group, two positional groups that, that could see um, some outside help uh, once the, you know, after 4 o'clock tomorrow. Do you think that the Zach Ertz contract negotiation stoppage is an issue? I know he has years left on the contract, but if it gets to that last year, do you think maybe he holds out? I mean, this can definitely get ugly. Yeah, it, there's always the potential that it could get ugly, Hunter. But I, I don't, and, and I don't foresee him going into next season without having the contract redone. But that said, there's a lot of time between now and then. I think a lot of things tra- could transpire. If the Eagles can see their young nucleus of wide receivers, if they produce, 
it create it maybe the Eagles are able to kind of work something out and make themselves more of a of a twelve personnel dominant team, knowing that they have a young group of receivers that they're not really paying a lot of money to that can perform. And maybe you, you really dedicate your offense to two tight ends and you pay both of those guys. It's interesting you mentioned the two tight end because a lot of teams in the NFL are going more and more to the two tight end system. You go around the league and you notice that more and more teams are using two tight ends. So, you know, on the outside looking in, it would seem like the Eagles, from my perspective, would want to keep both Ertz and Goddard as long as possible mm-hmm. because this is kind of the direction the league is going in to counteract what other teams are doing with some of the defensive schemes. Yeah, and, and the two players are very different, and they bring a lot of different skill sets to the offense. You have Zach Ertz, who's the best route-running tight end in the NFL. He's not going to be that physical blocker that can line up and maul somebody, but you can move him around at wide receiver. You can you can move him all over the formations. And Dallas Goddard's someone who's going to be a little bit more physical. He's really developed as a blocker. He gives you more after the catch, and he can also move around the formation, and he presents matchup problems for, for corners. You know, how do you, defend, how do you defend players like that? They're too big and physical for cornerbacks, and they're too quick for safeties and linebackers. So I think, like you said, that's why you're seeing a lot of teams that if you have two tight ends with such you know, diverse skill sets, why not build around them and really add another layer to your offense? Before we flip over to the defense, I just want to ask you, is there how many moves do you think offensively between tomorrow at 4 p.m. and then game day do you think we might see, considering the, everything that we just talked about? Because we know that every year – Teams are scouring those waiver wires. I think this year might be a little more than usual just because there's no preseason. Yeah, I think you could see a few. You know, you, you could see one at wide receiver, running back, and offensive line. You have to add depth to the offensive line. They're just not good enough right now, Josh, to, to line up and play a full slate of games with their current group. They're just not. They're one injury away really from from every from the bottom falling out and that that's very concerning when you look at Carson Wentz's injury history and the investment that the team has made you know if you have your quarterback that's injured you're not you're not going anywhere that needs to be addressed and you at this stage in the offseason you're not really going to find uh, a bona fide blue chip talent at left tackle but you can find a steady veteran that a team's willing to part ways with in favor of a young draft pick or maybe one that they're overpaying that they really don't want to, they kind of want to cut ties with and don't want to pay that money to. And I think these would be wise, wise to swoop in on a player like that. Running back, if something happens to Miles Sanders, Boston Scott's not well equipped to handle more than six or eight carries a game. Corey Clement has an extensive injury history. He's looked great this summer. That's, that's all. That's awesome to hear, but you really want to bring in somebody that can be that bruiser between the tackles grinder that can get those short yardages and, and is pretty reliable. Corey has a, he has an extensive injury history. So to go into, go into the season with three running backs, two of which, you know, can't, they really can't be the, a feature runner, you know, if pressed into duty. So I think you need to look to add a veteran there. I know the Rams cut a guy like John Kelly, who maybe he's not a veteran, but he has a very unique skill set that I really like coming out of Tennessee. Um, when he was coming in, uh, going into the NFL draft, I believe it was last season. And 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 wide receiver, wide receiver is a big need because if something happens to Deshaun Jackson before Alshon Jeffrey or Jalen Rager can come back, you have J.D.R. Sega Whiteside who's coming off a a very uneven rookie season, and then you have John Hightower, Quez Watkins, and Greg Ward. 
that's concerning when you look at the Deshaun's injury history. And uh, even though it's only a couple of weeks, we saw you know how how quickly things can change when he left the lineup last last season and, and after in week one, and how different the receiving core looked. So I think you could they would be they would be wise to add a veteran to the mix there. I feel like your running back description of what they might need is a guy named Adrian Peterson who just got released by Washington. Yeah, Adrian Peterson fits the mold of what they're looking for. But the thing I will say is the Eagles have a number in their mind that they're going to pay and a lot to a veteran running back. And I have a funny feeling that what Adrian Peterson is going to warrant, what he's going to want, is going to be out of the Eagles' price range. They, they've shown that they're not going to to compromise or budge or budge from their their stance. That said, I think that there could be someone of, of, a, of a lesser – uh, of a lesser mold that, that could come in there and adequately adequately fill that role uh, around the NFL. There's going to be a ton of talent released for one reason or another, and I think the Eagles will be wise to jump on the running back position. Let's go to the cornerback position because it definitely fascinates me, and I'm looking at your projected 53-man roster. It looks like Craig James over Sidney Jones, and I just wonder, is it because Craig James is actually playing well or is Sidney Jones playing that poorly or probably a combination of both maybe? Yeah, well, Craig James Hunter is a player that I've gotten really good information on over the last several months. He's a player I know the Eagles really like. When you're really configuring, knowing what I know about the intricacies of putting together a 53-man roster, I know the back end of the roster really needs to be guys that are going to contribute on game day. Maybe not on on the offensive or defensive units, but probably on the third phase on special teams. And that Craig James is one of the best players that the Eagles have in that mold. He played 237 snaps on that in that unit last season for Dave Phipp, and I believe he finished fifth on the team in, in total snaps on that behind Duke Riley. Those are going to be crucial positions when you really look at their top two guys from last season, TJ Edwards and Duke Ry- or TJ Edwards and Nathan Gary. They both played 74 percent of the special team snaps. They're going to be a little bit preoccupied on defense this year, so you need to find other players that you can kind of keep on just to be able to fill the special teams role because Alex Singleton, he's another guy who was a core member last season. He may be on the outside looking in. So I, I kept Rasul Douglas on with Craig James, knowing that Rasul Douglas played the third most special team snaps last season. He can play on the outside, which Sydney also can, but what Rasul gives you a special teams um, uh, ability and Sidney Jones, you know, if you activate him on game day, he lost the starting role to Avante Maddox. He, he's really not a nickel. You don't need him to play there when you have two guys and Craven LeBlanc and Nikel Roby Coleman that can play there. So what do you do with Sidney Jones? That just to me seems like someone who would be active on game day, but really, really hampers what the Eagles can do because he doesn't play special teams. And when you compare him side by side with Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones has more value given his draft pedigree and maybe the potential change of scenery that can kind of reinvigorate his career. And he'd be the, the, the prototypical player that you can get for maybe a, a player for player swap to add to the offensive line or linebacker or even running back. Is Sidney Jones more likely to be released or traded, you think? Hmm. I think that they can get certainly get something for him, even if it's a late-round pick. I think the team is going to be willing to roll the dice on him and not risk trying to put a waiver claim in for him because he does have a lot of ability. Look, Sidney Jones is a much better cornerback than Rasul Douglas. He gives you more. But the best ability is availability, and you can't stash a player on your 53-man roster who hasn't participated in all of training camp by, by, you know, for all intents and purposes, and you don't know about his availability throughout the season. 
Rasul Douglas doesn't have nearly his athleticism or, or ceiling as a corner, but you know that he's going to be available every week. You know he's going to be a significant part of Dave Fifth's special teams unit. And when you look at Sidney Jones, you just don't know what you're getting out of him. And I think another team may have a plan for him and have an opening as a starting cornerback role and might be willing to take it, take, make a play for him because I believe he's only 24 years old. Um, you know, maybe a change of scenery would do him well. How about on the defensive end position? Is there an update on Derek Barnett yet? I haven't heard much on Derek Barnett. I, I think that he's going to be, you know, I know he's a little bit banged up and he could be slowed in the early part of the season. I think the Eagles have six guys that they really could carry. I think Barnett's going to be just fine. Do, do you think that? I think, I, I think Barnett's going to be just fine going into the season if you listen to Jim Schwartz's quotes. And I also believe that they have six guys that they that they should go with on the 53-man roster behind Josh Wood. I think Joe Osman and Casey Tuho have both warranted their you know their roster consideration. When you look at Jannard Avery, who really he, he wasn't performing well, got hurt, kind of out of the picture there. I know the team surrendered a fourth round pick for him, but he really hasn't done much to kind of justify making the roster. And then. Sharif Miller has had about it as invisible of an offseason as a, as a you know a fourth round pick could have coming into his going into his second season. You really haven't seen much out of him. He played two snaps total last season on special teams, and he was so invisible and and not ready to contribute to the team that the team had to go out and get somebody like a Gennard Avery and surrender a fourth round pick to get him. Um, you really don't know. You, you, it, it, to me, you can't just keep two guys in that, that, you, that, you know, that you invested fourth-round picks in if they're not performing because what's the point? I think you need to give, you know, I think that you need to give the nod to guys that have been consistent performers throughout the entire summer. He's Andrew Checo joins us every Tuesday and Friday to talk Eagles football. Of course, we are a week and change away from the start of the Eagles season tomorrow. Cutdowns are going to happen, and the process starts of finalizing the roster for the start of the 2020 NFL season. Follow him on Twitter at A, the Checo NFL. Covers the Eagles for 97.3 ESPN.com and InsideTheBirds.com. And as all guests, he appeared today on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Andrew, always appreciate the time. Guys, have a great weekend. Football at 4 here on 97.3 ESPN being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and they'll match your first spot up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 20 or order to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The more I hear from everybody, the more it seems like Sidney Jones is done in Philadelphia. And I'm not surprised. Although there were a couple moments last year where he got thrown into the fire, and guess what? He made that play. There was that, I don't know if it was real, but there was some speculation that at one point Jim Schwartz was like, hey, where's James? Where's James? And and Sidney Jones ended up running out there and making the play on the field as if he called the wrong person's name. Afterwards, there was a little bit of some miscommunication on it, if that actually happened or not. But that is, uh, that's it. That's it for Sidney Jones, it seems. I'm not heartbroken about it. Uh, look, here's the thing with Sidney Jones. He is talented. He has talent. But I think the injuries he has incurred in the last couple of years have inhibited him from breaking out and reaching his potential here in Philadelphia. I don't know if it's all mental. 
I think some of it may be, you know, maybe hesitation at times. You know, maybe that, that moment, you know, if you've ever had an injury, there are sometimes you're doing something and you're like, is something wrong? Am I okay? Did, did something happen to my knee, my ankle, my whatever? And I think sometimes you can tell there's a little hesitation at times of going all out with him. And I think that's really hurt his performance in Philadelphia. And frankly, I, I just think he needs a new a new change of scenery. There's definitely a confidence issue there. When you don't have your confidence, you're not the same type of player. So maybe it is a new city. Maybe it is just who he is as a player. And maybe he never gets his confidence. I don't know. But, but it does seem pretty clear that it's not going to happen here. So maybe it's time for a trade. Coming up next, Broads and Josh. You got to ask us questions, 609-403-0973. Ask Broads and Josh. PlaySugarHouse.com. Text board is open, 609-403-0973. Still to come. Happy Hour Friday with P. Thompson, of course, coming up at 530. And don't forget that you can win a four-pack of tickets that goes to the Atlantic City Water boat in water boat show that's September 10th through the 13th. So next weekend at the Farley State Marina at Golden Nugget Casino Hotel, you can bring the family, kids under 12 get in for free, get to see all the new 2021 models and exclusive boat show deals. We have four packs of tickets available right now. So for every person who texts in the 609-403-0973 throughout the show. Tonight, we're going to get a hold of you, and we'll lock you up with tickets for packs for the Atlantic City In-Water Boat Show next weekend. Text in 609-403-0973. Ask Bros and Josh next here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN-FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Wake up weekday mornings from 6 to 10. Are you ready? Hey, think you can tell us what to do? Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Ask Broads and Josh. Of course, usually ask Mike and Bros. Mike, you'll be back in the saddle on Tuesday. We'll extend it a weekend for Mike, of course. Ask Mike and Broads or ask Broads and Josh. As always, brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. You know what might be a good option right now on PropSwap? That Miami Heat looking pretty good. Gets the Bucks. What if the Heat beat the Bucks and they reach the NBA Finals? I wonder what that ticket would have been months ago for them to make the NBA Finals. That might be a juicy little uh, item to get on PropSwap.com. Absolutely. They're looking good. It looks like they have this Bucks team figured out. But just like you saw yesterday... One little moment can maybe change the entire series. And it looked like the Celtics were going to go up 3-0. And before you knew it, bang, 2-1. That's what makes the playoffs wonderful. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Now, how are you feeling with the NBA playoffs, no fans? Is it is it weird for you? Are you okay? No, it's fine. Yeah. I'm good. I, I, think, the pre, I think presentation of the product is important. I think the NBA and the NHL have got it figured out. I think they have figured out how to make the presentation of the game not ever give you a moment where you wonder where the fans are. And I think it's a good thing. I do think I'm more attracted to, and this isn't normally the case, though. I, I normally am NBA playoffs 
over NHL playoffs, even though I'm a hockey guy, I do love the NBA playoffs. There's there's more hype around it, more storylines, you know, it's just, it's more nationally covered, so it, it draws my attention more, but I do find myself in the hockey playoffs outside of the Flyers, so I'm taking Flyers out of it, so like this series on that's now, yeah, Colorado, that Colorado Dallas. Dallas, Game 7. I feel I'm more into this hockey playoff bubble atmosphere than I am the basketball, and, and I don't know why that is. It's, I, it's even for me. I do think there is something missing in basketball with the crowd, though. I I didn't think it would get me to this point, but there is something missing for me. The only two sports that I genuinely notice have noticed, and part of it is because of the presentation, and part of it is just it's just weird without fans. There's only two sports that have ever affected me. Tennis for sure. Definitely. I it just it doesn't feel right at all. It feels very awkward. And the other one is boxing. I haven't watched this I can't watch boxing. But you can watch UFC? Because I think the UFC's presentation is better. Okay. I think the UFC said we're going to treat this as we're taking you behind the scenes. Like you see like the like a Megan O'Levy or whoever on ESPN is doing like, you know, the report from the locker room and you see her walking around behind the scenes. They give you behind the scenes shots of what things look like for the fighters. Like they're almost turning it into like a mini like, you know, like hard knocks, but for a real event. You know what I mean? And I think boxing doesn't do that at all. I think boxing, I mean, they have too many pan out shots. We see all these empty seats in an arena. Like, that's just a bad look. I haven't really watched too much boxing since You're not this missing all. much. Yeah, but, but since this has started, boxing hasn't been something to me to grab on. I gave it a healthy shot in June. And I was done almost immediately. But WWE, you're all in on. You even started us off here with a little Degeneration X. Yeah, and listen, you know, now that, that Triple H and Shawn Michaels? Is that Triple who H, Shawn Michaels, X Pac. That was incredible. That was a good The era. gesture they used to do. Yeah. Unreal. Um WWE down Thunderdome, by the way. Have you have you seen this? No. So basically it's a virtual they have a, a gazillion screens of virtual fans. So what happens is is that around the ring, they have each screen is an individual fan on like a Zoom call, basically. I don't know if I like the virtual fans. And the fans basically can chime in with cheers and boos in real time. Well, that's a different part of this conversation because with the NBA... They're pumping in crowd noise. I don't like what they do there, honestly. I don't like the fans. I like what their mindset was. I don't think it was... And it's not necessarily wrong with they're not wrong with the execution part of it i just don't think it went as smooth as they thought it would i think it's still a good product though but anyway real quick on the wwe it's really cool because now you're seeing the the wrestlers i was gonna call them actors because they kind of are actors you're seeing them feed off of it's not real <laughs> just stop all right now you see them feeding off of the feedback from the virtual fans now and it's really cool. Like, you see them have these moments where, like they're doing their thing, and they hear, like, the reaction again. So it's almost like they're, like, going back into the old-school mode again. And that's, it's, a, it's a nice change of pace. I think that the Thunderdome is a much better look than what they were doing in the beginning when there was just nobody in the building. Like, that was just not good. Yeah, I'm out on WWE. But we have some questions here. And, we do. And Tim wants to know. He's kind of coming at me a little bit. Ooh. Does this 9 of 10 streak change your mind on this team, Broge? You said you always thought they would be the first team out of the playoffs. Your thoughts? Well, 
to be fair, at the time of me saying that, their bullpen was historically garbage, and I didn't think that that would really be able to work at all because every single time a bullpen arm went into the game, you knew it was going to be a dumpster fire and the team was going to fall apart, whether they were up nine runs, six runs, four runs, it didn't matter. They lost the game. So now that they added more, it's hard at this moment to to say, yeah, they're still going to be the first team out. I mean, they look good. Their offense is rolling. So, yeah, I might take a couple steps back and reassess what they are now, now that they added a lot of bullpen help. When they acquired Phelps, I was I was giving them the credit. I was ready to move forward and say this team can make the playoffs. That was the turning now, point. Now, Joe Girardi made a decision yesterday that had to do with Phelps. He took Zach Eflin out after six innings. He was only at 82 pitches. It was a 4-4 game at the time. He put in Phelps. Phelps allowed the homer to Michael Taylor. I'm okay with pulling Eflin there because it's not always just about, well, what's his pitch count? He wasn't pitching a bad game, but he wasn't pitching a great game correct, either. Correct. He was just okay. So in that time where you now have a bullpen you can rely on, I think it's okay in the seventh inning to go to David Phelps. It didn't work out. I get that. But that's with hindsight. Before you know, I can live with that decision. Yeah, I don't mind the decision. And I don't think that that one moment is is a reflection on what we're going to see from Phelps overall. I felt like they, they brought Phelps into a difficult situation and it just didn't work out. It happens. The one decision I can criticize by Joe Girardi, though, was allowing Zach Eflin to pitch to Juan Soto. There was a moment there where, dude, first base isn't occupied. Let's not even play games. No reason to be pitching to one of the best hitters in the game at that point. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just think Eflin didn't have a great game yesterday. You could tell it just he wasn't was just his best day. Okay, He was okay, yeah. And I think that, you know, no matter what happened after that, it was going to turn into a chess match moving forward. How do you think they do the night? Uh, who's pitching tonight? I believe it's J- <laughs> it's Jake Ar- Jake Arietta, which is scary. Yeah, let me pull up the uh, schedule. Sunday for the is Degrom versus Aaron Nola. The Ooh. Phillies have escaped facing like Degrom that. a lot. I know they avoided it a couple times there. Right. Uh yeah, it's Arietta versus uh, Porcello. Yes, that's gonna be a lot of runs tonight. <laughs> um, and then Howard versus Lugo on Saturday. I like that matchup. What are your thoughts on Spencer Howard at this point? I think I've seen flashes of good things. I agree. Have you seen enough, though? Are you underwhelmed? Because I said through four starts. I say the jury is still out. Well, it's definitely still out. But through four starts, if I told you Spencer Howard is going to get four starts, would you think that in one of those four starts you would see one outing where you walked away going, yes, that's it? Because we really haven't had that outing yet. It's been... High 90 pitch count, five innings. High 90 pitch count, four and two-thirds. But you saw some great fastballs. You saw some good off-speed pitches. But you haven't really seen a seven-inning, three hits, Right, I haven't seen him put it all together yet. But I've seen moments where he has a bat and you see what he can do. It's just hard when you see someone like Sixto Sanchez dominating seven innings, 10 Ks. While you thought Spencer Howard, we talked about Spencer Howard being called up to be a legit piece in this rotation, almost taking over Arietta's spot. Now, maybe that's shame on us for putting too much optimism in that, but we haven't seen anything close to that at this point. I think the Phillies can win three or four versus the Mets in this series. Well, is that because the Phillies offense is clicking and the Mets yep. stink? Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I'm, I'm see Porcello, Lugo, and Waka are the pitchers for the Mets this weekend. Yeah, I forgot it was a four-game series. Shame yeah, on me. Double-double header. What's that? No, double header. Sunday, Monday. 
Yeah, the Monday threw me off because you normally yeah. get the Friday, Saturday, Sunday matchup, and then Monday, you know. You, How about you this? Kinda... The Monday game is 1 o'clock. It's Labor Day, though. And then Tuesday's game is 4 o'clock. That's interesting. Well, this whole and then then Wednesday, and then the next day is seven. <laughs> and then you're going to have a bunch of double headers thrown in the mix. Oh, I know, as well. the, like the Marlins series, all these double headers are just going to drive me nuts. And you're going to see Sixto Sanchez at some point. Six zero nine four zero three zero nine seventy. Warren and Kaylee Courthouse says, if the Flyers win the Stanley Cup, what kind of COVID pandemic parade are we going to have? It's a shame it'll never equal the teams from the seventies if there's a parade this year. Do you think that they will hold off a parade? Would it feel right if they did the parade two years from now? If the Flyers no. won the Cup this year, no parade, but after next season, they do it? That would be a little weird. Would it? I mean, this yeah. whole year is weird. They're playing in a bubble with no fans. Would you rather have no parade at all, a parade via Zoom, or you do it a year later? Which one would you choose? No parade at all? I say you do the WWE Thunderdome. For no, the no, no, no. No WWE Thunderdome. <laughs> you would be okay with a Zoom parade? Not really, but I, I, honestly, I'm not okay with any scenario, honestly, right now. Well, you, because you're I feel have like, to do something. Because I feel like every scenario, there's a downside. Well, would they broadcast on our local news networks, maybe? Sure, the, the, like the Eagles did. Right, but without anybody there. I know, that's the problem. You can't do that. I think you got to hold it off. Like, let's say the Flyers win the Cup this year, and then next year I'll just throw out a team. The Vancouver Canucks win. The same summer, there'll be a parade in Philly, and there'll be a parade in Vancouver, and you would just be... Or what the Flyers need to do is win back-to-back Cups. That's all. It's as easy as that. Just win the Cup two times in a row. It's that easy. It's that easy. That's all. It's simple logic. Ask Broads and Josh. Brought to you by Prop Swap. 609-403-0973. I got another Flyers one for you. Says, uh, Anonymous says, This power play has been horrible. The setup has been the same for years. When it comes to Giroux, I don't know why people are so up in arms surprised of him not scoring goals all the time. He isn't a true goal scorer in that sense. He's good for maybe 20 to 25 goals a year in the regular season. And he's been a goal scorer in the playoffs at times. But he's still averaging around a point per game in the playoffs. So a little bit of everything there. Yeah, 20 to 25 goals in the regular season is a good, I mean, that's good. If you're scoring 20 goals in a season, that's very But that's very not a bona fide goal scorer. Correct, correct. It's someone who can score. But on the power play, the problem isn't so much Claude Giroux looking to score. So if he's combining, he or she is combining Claude Giroux and his way he plays when it comes to scoring goals in the power play, it's not like Claude Giroux forcing his shot attempts and that's what's making this power play not work. It's almost as if he's being too passive. Maybe I want him to shoot more. Maybe that's the problem. My I want biggest him to shoot problem more. With, yeah, my problem with the power play is I feel like, and I'm not a hockey expert, so when I say this, it may come off as a little crude, but I just feel like they don't know what they're doing sometimes out there. I feel like they get into the zone and they go to their spots and then they just stop playing. Whether it's like, for, yeah, it's like if that play doesn't work, which it's not do. working, they don't have that second solution. And that's what I was saying earlier. Like I think they need to simplify things and open it up for more creativity and for Vigneault and the coaching staff to lay on the players and say, you guys go out there and be creative. It's kind of like 
turning a basketball game into a street ball game. Just up and down, up and down. Like, let the guys go out there and just, you know, wing it. I'm trying to find a comparison on how bad this is. Remember a couple years ago, who was the safety? Was it Corey Graham on the 4th and 18 in Tennessee who missed the sideline play where the Eagles lost? Was that Tennessee? You mean you mean the one where he left like 200 yards between him and the receiver and the receiver got the first down? Yes. Yeah, that was uh, Corey Graham. Yeah, it's, it's doing that five plays in a row is almost the comparison of how bad this power play is. I almost can't even describe how pathetic this really is. What they are doing is historically garbage, and it's a problem. I mean, I really can't believe I'm at the point where I don't want a power play, and that should never be the case. But it is, and that's telling. Ask Broads and Josh being brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. We'll get more of your questions on the other side, 609-403-0973, on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board here on 97.3 ESPN. It's Flyers Playoff Hockey. Sports Bash being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Say a big thank you to New Jersey farmers for all of their hard work that goes into providing fresh produce by buying Jersey Fresh. Stay loyal to the local this Labor Day weekend with Jersey Fresh Produce. A little bit more Ask Bros and Josh here on 97.3 ESPN. PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open 609-403-0973. Ron wants to know. Do you truly think the Flyers can win Game 7 with the way they've been playing? And the answer is this. It's it's almost yes and no. Like, they shouldn't be winning the way that they have been playing. But in a one-game situation, they have shown that even if they do get outshot or they can't score on the power play, it's not a recipe for success long-term. But in a one-game situation at this point, yeah. Yeah, they they can win, right? I mean, they've showed that they can. So whatever magic is happening right now, it's working in their favor. So sure, yes, they can. I'm a believer. You're a believer. I'll I'll just put it that way. I'm a believer in Carter Hart. I'm a believer in the way this team stepped up down 3-1. And I believe they can win Game 7. Even if they lose Game 7, I'm not going to be heartbroken because this team has carried me through an incredible ride this week. I'll be heartbroken, but I will admire what they gave us. Frustration, yes, but some great I'll be moments. A little frustrated, yeah. Yeah, but but that's what that's what playoff runs are all about. Riding the emotional roller coaster, the ups and downs. Looking back at how I felt last night. I mean, you're gonna be conflicted because one part of you wants the flyer to run to keep going, the other party wants to cut off that beard. Yeah, but I'll take a I'll take a <laughs> beard that comes down to my chest if it means the flyers are gonna go on a crazy run. And you might even see an outfit on month, on Tuesday, depending on the outcome of Game 7. Color me intrigued. All right. 609-403-0973 is the text board. Tom from the Villas chimes in. Says, I'll be out on my fishing boat and drinking some cold ones all weekend. What are your plans for the holiday weekend? I don't have anything too crazy. I just have uh, a really good friend of ours is having crabs. On Sunday, and it's like a huge event, 
and there's a you know a bunch of family going and a, a bunch of us close friends are getting together on Sunday to relax and, and having some cold ones and eating some crabs. So that's really the only big day that I'm having over the weekend. Saturday, getting some things done around the house and then relaxing at night to watch the Fly Guys. And then, um, yeah, so Sunday's the big day for me, and then Monday is probably going to be more of a relaxation thing, I would assume. Um, I don't have any huge plans because Labor Day weekend is usually a weekend I try to, like, decompress as much as possible because I know football season's right around the corner. But obviously I'm going to watch Game 7 tomorrow night. A lot of my plans tomorrow are going to be surrounding that. Uh, I am going to uh, try to find time either Sunday or Monday to consume a movie. Oh, do you have one in mind? Yes, Tenet. Uh, I'm very intrigued. It's another one of these Christopher Nolan. Did you ever see Inception? Yeah. It's it's kind of an Inception-related movie, but instead of it being like built in the mindscape, it's actually a, a spy suspense thriller. So and I'm. Was I'm there intrigued. a reason why this came up into your your life? Like I need to see this. Or I, I saw a few trailers, okay. and I know that the movie theaters are opening up. I want to kind of. Oh, you so know, you're going to the movies? To see. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to patronize one of the local establishments, you know, in our area. You know, try to give back to the local community. You know, people are opening up, so I feel it's part of my civic duty to support the local community. And one of those ways will be going to movie, getting some popcorn, sitting down and watching a flick. Sounds fun. Speaking of fun, Pete Thompson, happy hour Friday coming up at 5.30 here on the Sports Bash. Hey, South Jersey, this is Billy Schwan. Tune into the locker room every Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m.